and predict what our world would look like in 2022. And I don't mean we could have predicted the pandemic, uh, but rather we could have safely predicted that our world <laughs> would be a mess. I mean, it's, it's kind of safe, right? That countries would be invading other countries, that, that the threat of war would be pretty close. Uh, I mean, that's easy to predict because that's kind of human nature. That's kind of the way countries have been. They invade each other forever, right? That's, that's easy to predict. That, that injustice would be out of control, that the rich would exploit the poor, that the powerful would subdue the weak. That's just easy to predict. That's history. And next year, we can safely predict that our world will still feel like and look like and be a mess. And what's interesting is that everyone responds differently when there's a mess around them, right? Everybody has different extremes or middle grounds they find. In one extreme, you can kind of shut your news feed down and, and kind of just give up. Like, why care anymore? Why even pay attention anymore? This place is a mess. Some of us, we see the mess around us and we just get fearful and we find no hope and we, we kind of live in fear. The other extreme can be that we see that this world has come to an end and it's a mess and we start writing things on our calendar predicting when the end will come, right? And just start ticking things off and then we send out emails and if you don't forward them to all other people, you're not a good Christian, you know, that, that kind of thing. So how is it that we're supposed to respond? How is it that we're supposed to respond? Or put differently, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be a good citizen of the earth, right? When it seems like there's no hope for change, when it seems like that the world has just gone crazy, when the world's a mess, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus when the world's a mess? That's our question for today. And this is the kind of question that Jesus actually addresses in Mark chapter 13, our passage for today. Now, this passage is called the Olivet Discourse. And you're going to think, man, this guy's smart now. I'm going to tell you why they call it that, because they were actually sitting on the Mount of Olive when he did this, right? I'm a genius, I know, right? So they call it the Olivet Discourse. That's where the name comes from. And this can be a really hard passage to understand. I just, I just want to give you the heads up. This is a hard passage. This is a much debated passage, if not the most debated passage. And uh, your pastor is not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes. I just have to admit, I leaned a lot on smarter people than me, uh, commentaries I had, people like Tim Mackey. And so, but I think that when we get to the end, we'll have some sort of direction to answer this question. What does it look like? to be faithful followers of Jesus when the world's a mess. I think that's where we're going to end up. We're going to be able to answer that. So let's humbly, please be humble about this, open up our minds and our hearts and see how God will speak to us. And before we start, I want to pray, okay? So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that we have your word. 
I thank you, God, that you choose to give us uh, understanding of who you are and also who Jesus is in your word. And so open up our minds and our hearts. And Father, teach us from your word right now. And I just humbly admit, Father, that even though I think I know what this means, I could be wrong. And so I want to put this in your hands and want to trust you with this this morning. So take it and use it however you would this morning. Amen. Okay, so let's dive in. And I just want to remind you of the context. Jesus is in his final days. This is kind of like his last week on earth. And he knows that his crucifixion is coming up. But the guys who are following him, the women who are following him, they do not. They're still not sure. He's been not only flipping tables in the temple and kind of stirring up ruckus. We heard a little bit about that last week. But he's also been teaching in the temple. And then they leave the temple and they go out to the foothills of the Mount of Olives. And that's where we pick our story up, okay? So we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 13, starting with verse 1. And this is where the story picks up. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, I've found a fairly decent graphic, so you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about right here. It was considered an architectural wonder of the ancient world. It had been under renovation for the last 40 years by King Herod, right? Some of the stones are like the size of a car. Here's a more modern-day picture. You can see the people standing there. This is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. Look how big those stones are. And these are just the outer walls, some that actually remained, right? So you can, you can kind of get an idea now why these guys would be saying, oh, look, isn't that impressive? It was impressive, all right? So they make this comment about the temple, all right? And let's see what Jesus says to them in verse 2. Jesus said to him, you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, to really understand, so bear with me. I want to really help you with this, I think. To understand the intensity of what Jesus has just said, you need to know that everything they were hoping for, to be reestablished as a nation, everything was centered around the temple. You get that? I mean, you got to wrap your minds around this because it makes a lot more sense when you get this. The temple was going to be home base. It was going to be headquarters. This is where heaven meets earth, where God meets his people. And we really can't totally relate to it because we kind of downplay this sort of thinking, don't we, actually? We're, not, we're even careful not to call this building that we're in a church. I mean, we may call this room a sanctuary, but for most of us, it's just an adjective. It, it doesn't really have significant meaning to us. I, I remember growing up, maybe some of you were like this in the church in which you grew up, but we had to respect the sanctuary. So as kids, we couldn't go running around and stuff. You know, it was like, don't run in the sanctuary. We, did, we didn't know why, but we knew we couldn't run in the sanctuary. And I always had to take my hat off, and I always had hats on. So you could take your hat off when you're in the sanctuary, right? Most of us have never even been in a temple except for maybe as a tourist, right? Of any kind of temple. But back then, 
And even so today, temple was everything. In fact, I bet that most of his disciples were thinking, hey, we're going to be key leaders in this new movement, and we just might have a corner office in the temple. Yeah. So Jesus' words, all right, so you're getting it now? Jesus' words are actually treasonous, blasphemous. It'd be like someone tweeting, I'm going to blow up Parliament or the White House. That's what it would be like, right? So, sorry to keep on with that, but that's the intensity of this. Let's look at verse 3. As he sat on the mountain of olives opposite the temple, okay, so can you visualize this? They're, they're sitting on the mountain. They're looking back here, and maybe that the big dome was glowing in the sun there, you know. And so Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They said, tell us when these will these things be, and what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished, all right? So they asked two questions. When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? That's the first question they ask. And the second question they ask is, what are the signs? Give us some clues, Jesus, so that we won't be caught off guard, right? There's a parallel version of this in Matthew, uh, Matthew 24. I mean, it's almost word for word in this, but Matthew gives a very more specific question, the second question. So I just want to glance at it real quick there. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. He says, and this is how they say it. He says in Matthew, and what will be the sign of your coming and in the end of the age? All right? So there's two events, right? See the two events. The destruction of the temple, which has to shock them, right? And, and then Jesus setting up his new kingdom, the end of the age, as we read it in Matthew. The end of the world as we know it. Right now, believe it or not, Jesus actually answers their questions. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't do that very much, does he? We're not used to Jesus just directly answering questions. But not only does he directly answer their question, I believe he answers their questions in the order in which they ask them. Right. So starting with verse five, and he goes all the way down to verse thirty to answer their question. And the first question is the one he answers in that whole chunk there. When will the temple be destroyed? Right? So verse 5 all the way down to 30, he answers that question. And in verse 30, he summarizes his answer. And so I want to jump to verse 30. We're going to come back to verse 5, all right? But look at what he says. This is kind of his summary statement. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And just so you know, I highlighted the word generation. A good biblical definition of generation, it's debated for sure what this means, but a typically a good biblical generation would be 40 years. So he's telling them sometime in the next 40 years, the temple will be destroyed. And some of you here know, some of you have studied this, you know that 37 years later, the Roman army came in and said, you know what, we're tired of you guys revolting, we're tired of this Jewish issue, we're just going to tear this down. 37 years later, they came and they tore down the temple and the walls. Now, before we go back to verse 5, and I, and I want to get some of the details of these verses, I want you to go back to the first question that we started talking about, because I want us to keep on track here. 
Remember that first question? What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus when the world's a mess? All right? That's the one we're going to get to. And I say this because I believe that this Olivet Discourse is very pastoral. Uh, Nels suggested to me, Nels Spruston suggested to me that we should call this the pastoral discourse instead of the Olivet Discourse. It's, I don't believe that it's meant to start pulling out your calendar and marking down events for the end of the world and just start checking them off and making predictions. I don't believe that that's what this is for. I believe it's very pastoral. I believe it's Jesus saying, here's how you live in times of uncertainty. Uncertainty. And so Jesus begins to answer their question. And as he does, as he feels, it feels kind of strange because you're going to see this when we read that. It feels like he's jumping from the first question about the temple to the end of the age question. He's going back and forth. Which question are you answering now, Jesus? You know? And so it's kind of like you're standing on Gary Point. Right? Everybody been to Gary Point? It's kind of here. If you're standing on the dike, right? And you look out over the water and you see there's some land there. Right? And you know that probably you know that there's the Gulf Islands and then there's uh, Vancouver Island back behind it. But it's hard to tell which one you're looking at. Right? Is that Gabriola or is that Valdez or is that uh, one of those mountains behind it? Is that Vancouver Island or is that on the Gulf Island? What is that? And that's kind of how this passage is. At one point in the same paragraph, it feels like he's answering one question and then he jumps to the other question. It's kind of like, which island are you on right now, Jesus? Are you on the Gulf Islands or are you on the Vancouver Island, right? Which is it? And so it gets kind of confusing. But I actually believe that he's not doing that. I think he's on the first island, the first question the whole time. When will, when will the temple be destroyed? The whole big chunk here until the very end, I think that's what he's answering. And so I'm going to do my best to keep it straight to help you understand which question Jesus is asking, okay? So let's go back to verse 5 and dive in here a little bit and unpack this. All right, you still with me? Sort of? Okay. Andrikius, thank you. And Jesus began to say to them, look at verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. And these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now remember, he's answering the first question still. He's answering the question, when will the temple be destroyed? And all of these things, false messiahs, wars, all of these things, do take place in the next 40 years. Some of them we read about in the book of Acts. Some of them we just know about from history. All right? But what Jesus is telling them, what's, what is he saying? What's his pastoral advice here? These things are going to happen, but don't let anyone lead you astray. Stay with me. Listen to my words. Don't get thrown off. It's going to feel like the end of the world, but it's not. This is just the world. 
It's a mess, right? Let's keep going. Look at verse 9. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And then when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what, are you going to, whatever, what you are going to say. But, whatever, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father to his child. And the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this section is one of those times where he feels like he's jumping from island to island, right? He's jumping, it seems like he's jumping from the second question to the first question, but I think he's still answering their first question, okay? You know, and in one sense, we know these very things happen because we read about them in the book of Acts, as I mentioned, or we know about them from history. Uh, it happens within this 40 years that Jesus spoke of. But we also know that some of this stuff is going on today, don't we? Like, this sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Either way, I believe that whether he's talking about them or he's actually, uh, we can see this happening today, it's not a pretty picture, is it? I mean, there's opposition from people on the outside. And there seems to be friendly fire, too, right? And I don't know if you listen to many podcasts or pay much attention but south of the border in my home country, there's a lot of friendly fire. I mean, the evangelical tribe is fighting against itself a lot these days, a whole lot. Okay, so we got to keep going. And uh, if you're not awake, it's time to wake up because it's getting weird now, right? We're about to get real apocalyptic sounding, right? So look at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. <laughs> okay, the abomination of what? Who gets desolated? <laughs> you know, first of all, I know this is going to get annoying, but he's answering the first question, right? Which is, when's the temple going to be destroyed. Thank you. You guys are great. So he's saying, I told you that this would happen within 40 years, but now I'm going to really drill down and get even more specific. Okay? Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He is quoting a prophecy from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he's saying, when you see something that's an abomination, in other words, something that's sacrilegious, maybe a big ugly pig, you know, for a Jewish person, that would just be disgusting, right? Or maybe it's an idol of another god, right? When you see it in the temple where it ought not to be, let the reader understand the temple is going down soon, all right? And for sure, as I mentioned, it all happened within 40 years, a generation ago, 
or, or ahead. In 66 AD, the Romans invaded the city finally for the last time and for the next four years. It took them four years. They dismantled the temple and all of the inner walls and not one stone was left on top of the other. Remember the picture? See this, remember the size of those stones? This is huge. From right here to down here is 450 feet. And they tore it all down. Just as Jesus predicted. But what's the abomination thing that he mentioned? Well, the Romans went inside the temple before they tore it down and they worshipped and put up idols to their own Roman gods right in the temple as a way of saying, our God is bigger than your God. Watch this. Hmm. All right, let's keep going. Jesus says, when they come, when this happens, when they invade the city, you better head for the hills because it's not going to be pretty. Look at verse 15. He says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down. I don't know where else he's supposed to go. Nor enter his house to take anything out. In other words, don't go get all your valuables. Just get out of town, right? Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Ah, and alas for women who are pregnant. And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray. Pray that it won't happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and that never will be. And if the Lord, Jesus goes on to say, had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, there's a lot that can be said here, and I just want to point out that Jesus is using hyperbole. In other words, he's grossly overstating things. And as he's talking about the destruction of the temple, he uses these big, uh, outrageous words. Well, why? Why does he do that? Well, remember, the temple is going to be their new office space. This is going to be where the central government is. And at least that's how his listeners understand it, right? And so Jesus knows this, and he's telling them, not only will that not happen, you don't get a corner office, but it's going to be torn down. And for them, it would feel like the end of the world. It would feel like the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. Even today, the Jewish people still say this was the worst. To this day, they have not rebuilt the temple. To this day, they have a feast called, I'm going to have to read this, Tisha Ba'ah. Does that sound right, Michael? You're, you're almost Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> they, fit, they have this feast in August, and they remember this event, and they mourn over it. But Jesus tells them, although this is not something you want to be around for, for the sake of the elect, and I think he's talking about those who are his followers, his disciples, they will not be destroyed. He will shorten the days of disaster for their sake. Okay, are you still with me? A few of you are? Okay, great. Let's read this one last section, and then we're going to kind of start wrapping this up. Look at verse 21. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all of these things beforehand. Now here again we hear some of that same warning that we heard back in verse 9. Jesus says, be on your guard, right? Don't, don't be giving out your credit card to anyone who comes along and says he's a Messiah and does some magic tricks. Don't be doing that, right? I'm telling you, even before this happened, it's going to happen, so be prepared. Be watching. Be on your guard. And he knows, he knows, he knows that people get afraid. I get afraid. We get afraid when the world around us is falling apart. When the temple is coming down, so to speak. When the world is a mess. And we give in to fear and speculation. It's very tempting to do. And he's saying, stand firm. Watch out. Keep presenting the gospel. It needs to go out everywhere. Keep presenting it. Don't let people prey on your fears and take advantage of you. Don't give out your credit card, guys. God's in control. Trust him. The world looks like a mess. But tomorrow when you wake up, stand firm. And I'm telling you this ahead of time, Jesus says. Now this next section can be really confusing. But... I think when we read it with the mindset that he's still addressing their first question, which is when the temple is going to be taken down, this next section makes perfect sense. So what he's going to do here, this is so interesting. I know I'm kind of geeking out on you a little bit. He's so interesting because he's quoting the Old Testament prophets. And, and, and I think we need to stop and just do a little sidebar. Why is he quoting the Old Testament prophets? And what are they, what are they thinking, right? Well, it's poetry that he starts quoting. He's, he's quoting them from Isaiah 13, from Ezekiel 32, and from Daniel 7. Well, why are those guys writing poetry, maybe, is a question. Well, they're using poetry as a literary style to communicate how overwhelmed and how distressed they are. Well, why are they overwhelmed and distressed? What's their deal, right? Well, what's happening with them is they are predicting... And remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. They're predicting that the Babylonian Empire will fall. That's what these guys are predicting. And when that happens, it will feel like the end of the world. The stars will go out. The moon will go out, right? That's what it will feel like. Remember, it's poetry, okay? So just remember, he's using poetry here to tell people this. And, and poetry is full of you know, metaphors and similes and stuff that I don't even know what means, right? And to be sure, when Babylon did fall, they thought the world had come to an end. They thought the moon would stop shining. They really did. So he is saying, so now back to Jesus, right? He is saying this prediction, this prediction of the downfall of the temple is going to feel like it was back when Babylon fell. All right? Are you with me? All right, so let's look at verse 24. And let's, let's, with that in mind, but in those days, after that tribulation, the downfall of the temple, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from the heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Remember, it's poetry, right? He's, he's overstating it for impact. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. And so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And this is where he made his summary statement that we read at the beginning. Truly I say to you, this generation, these next 40 years is when this is going to happen. This generation will not take place until all these things take place. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, in my view, that last comment in verse 30 is our clue that he's still talking about the temple. All right? After the temple's downfall, Jesus will appear to everyone all over the earth. He'll appear to them in different ways in every corner. And he will start building in them a new temple. This is where it gets good, guys. He will start building a new temple. They themselves will be the temple of God. The believers will indwell the very presence of God. Later on, Paul, before the fall of the temple, by the way, Paul writes to this new church in Corinth, and he tells them this fact. Let's just look at that real quick in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? No longer is worship centered around this building, but each believer inhabits worship. And of course, that's the reality we all believe and we live in today. We all believe that we have the Holy Spirit in us if we've said yes to Jesus. That we are the temple. Okay, that all came from one question, right? When would the temple be destroyed? So before we go on to the second question, okay, <laughs> it doesn't spend that much time on the second question, so shoo, I want to pull out just a handful of things that I think are pastoral advice that Jesus gives for us, and I believe it's helpful for us today. Remember our question, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus when the world's a mess. So what's your advice to us, Jesus? What will you tell us from this passage, Jesus? And he says several things, and I think they can be summed up like this. The first thing I think he says is, watch out. Be on your guard. And I've listed the, ver the verses too there. Be vigilant. He says also, don't be led astray. He says, don't be anxious or fearful. He says, endure. Hang in there. I always think of that picture of that little cat, you know, hanging there. You guys love it? Yeah. And he says, trust me and trust the Holy Spirit. This is the mindset he wants us to cultivate every day when we wake up and we put our foot on the ground and we see that the world's a mess. He's saying this to us. Trust me. Endure. Be on your guard. Don't be misled. Don't be anxious. Hang in there, baby. Right? You'll be rewarded if you do. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be intentional about following me. And there's all kinds of distractions. There's all kinds of things to pull you away from me. And I'm saying, be on your guard. This is Jesus here. And be intentional. 
Now, we could probably have a sermon on every one of those points. We really could, that Jesus gives us as pieces of advice. Uh, I want to invite you to chew on those things. Because for each of you, maybe all of those things don't click with you, but some of them do. And for each of you, it means something different. And so I want you to chew on those things. What does it mean to be on my guard? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to stand firm, to be intentional? Okay, so let's finish up. In the very next verse, 31, he finally begins to answer their second question. The second question, you've probably already forgotten it by now. When's the end of the world coming? When's the end of the age as we know it? That's the second question. So look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, remember he's addressing their second question about when Jesus will come and set up his kingdom. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, we know he's jumped to the second question, at least is what I believe, because he shifts from saying this will happen in a generation to no one knows. Not even me, just the Father. Essentially, he's saying, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's really clear on his first answer, and he's very specific. The abomination that sets up desolation, right? He's very specific. But on the second one, he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Sorry, guys. Sorry to be so gray here, but I haven't a clue. God knows. No, he knows. He's the only one who knows. I mean, it's clear that Jesus, at least it's clear to me, Jesus is much more concerned about dealing with this issue of the destruction of the temple than he is this second question. It says, if he's indicating, why even bother talking about this? Because I don't know. <laughs> but the temple, you guys got to know, that's not the center anymore. Right? Let's skip down to his closing comments, and then we're going to wrap this up. Look at verse 34. Therefore, and remember, anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Yeah, I know, right? Pretty bad grammar, right? But we have to ask that question, right? So therefore, because we don't know when the end will come, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Or translated differently, be vigilant. And then the Olivet Discourse, or the Pastoral Discourse, is over. He's done. Well, how does Jesus want his followers to live in a world that is constantly in crisis? Remember our starting question, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus when the world's a mess? Bottom line, he wants us to trust that he's in control, that history is in his hands. And here's the good news, guys, that that his death and his resurrection means that the things of this world, this mess, even death itself, does not get the last word. 
He does. Jesus, Jesus gets the last word. Can I get an amen out there? He gets the last word in this mess that we live in. And, and, and in this mess, we're called, be on your guard. Stand firm. In fact, stand alongside other people together. Be together on this. Be intentional about following me. I want to end this morning by coming back to our big question that we keep asking. Who is Jesus? Uh, a preacher I like to listen to a lot, Andy Stanley, is known for saying this. To anyone who can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm with him. I, I don't care what else is out there. That's the guy I'm following. Well, who is Jesus? Because of his death and his resurrection that he predicted, they have the final word. He's the one that we can follow. He's the one we give our credit card to, right? It's, it's Jesus that we put our trust in. Jesus is the one that we follow. Amen?